It's great when uh, God goes ahead of you. Um, I just want to encourage you, uh, Bola, as we were worshipping, was just encouraging people that God was healing uh, while we were worshipping. Uh, last Sunday evening, uh, in the evening meeting, um, Sasha and I were talking to a lady afterwards who was visiting us, and she, she said that uh, she'd come in, um, she'd had long-term pain in her knee, and just during the worship, um, it was it, the pain had reduced uh, significantly. Um, so that was just during our time of worship, no one praying for her, no one laying hands on her, God was doing things. So I just want to encourage you, if you came in here sick, if you can test it out, then just try it and see what God's been doing already. Um, see what's been happening. This morning, um, I want to start just by sharing another testimony. It's amazing. I love all the testimonies that are coming out uh, in terms of healing. Um, I mean, the, the testimonies that Pete shared just then and, and so many now, it's, it's becoming a regular occurrence. Um, the other, a few weeks ago, Emily and I were up in York. Uh, with my parents, we were visiting a church in, in York and um, heard a fantastic testimony. A uh, lady who had been suffering with chronic fatigue, um, ME, which is something that's very close to my heart because something I suffered with uh, kind of seven or eight years ago um, for about two years, uh, seriously. Um, and she, my parents had said, oh, you need to speak to this lady because she's just been healed uh, about three or four weeks before. Uh, God had touched her. And basically her story was that her chronic fatigue, her ME had been so severe that I don't know exactly how long it had lasted, but certainly said, she said for three years she had been housebound um, and wouldn't, couldn't get out of her house or, or wouldn't get out of her house. Uh, I think she was afraid to as well. Uh, she then um, was given, I don't, or, or people got together and funded an electric wheelchair, uh, which enabled her to, to leave her house um, and for the last year, she'd been getting around using this electric wheelchair. Um, at first, she said it was a real big step for her just to go out of the house, um, but the wheelchair had enabled her at least to have a life again. Um, but a few uh, Sundays previous to the Sunday Emily and I were there, she just, again, during a time of worship, um, just felt God's presence on her. Uh, I'm not sure if they were specifically praying for the sick or not at that point, um, but she just, she just knew that God was healing her and knew that God was touching her and just felt God's presence uh, and, and power going through her body uh, and renewing her. And uh, she, she said she could just sense, she just had a sense of being re-energized and her energy just being filled up again. Um, and four weeks later, we saw her and she was, she was completely healed. Um, her chronic fatigue had gone. Uh, she was getting around. She was no longer using her electric wheelchair. She was able to walk around, leading a normal life, which was amazing. And for this, for this lady, it had completely transformed her life. Completely transformed her life. The best bit that I really loved was as I was talking to her, she just said on her way into church um, that morning, she'd, she'd driven in on her electric wheelchair. And uh, she was a lady. She was only in probably her late 20s. So, you know, a young lady, um, she'd driven in on her electric wheelchair and, and the battery had been dying on her way in. Uh, the battery had, yeah. Um, and she'd parked it in the foyer in the church and then walked into the main hall. And I think she just said she sat at the back. And um, she said as God was healing her and got, she felt God's power going through her, he was talking about the fact that he was re-energizing her and kind of giving her new batteries. And uh, so much had gone on in the meeting, she actually had forgotten about the battery 
having died on her, or being about to die on her um, electric wheelchair, and she'd forgotten to charge it. And she said she actually, because she was still a bit unsure what had exactly happened, she actually used her electric wheelchair to drive home. Um, And as she was driving home, she remembered that the battery on her wheelchair uh, was just about to die. And she looked down, and it had a full battery on her wheelchair. (laughs) Which she just said was amazing. She just felt it was confirmation from God that he had given her new batteries. uh, And he had recharged the batteries, which I just thought, how amazing of God. He healed her and then gave her a sign and a wonder to confirm uh, what he'd done. Because actually with something like chronic fatigue, I know there is a a big psychological element in terms of getting over something like that. So for God just to say to her, it's done, is is very, very significant. And just amazing that God, yeah, the sign and wonder I love as well as uh, as the healing. So that was amazing. So this morning, what I want to speak about is I pose a question, uh, which is, does God want to heal everybody? Does God want to heal everybody? Um, the reason I'm asking that question, the reason I want to kind of uh, speak to that today is because it's something that I heard for the first time probably about six or seven years ago, um, listening to Bill Johnson's messages from Bethel. Uh, in fact, anyone from Bethel, probably if you listen to them, uh, you'd, at some point you'd get this kind of message coming across that actually healing is available for everybody and God wants to heal everybody. Um, now, when I first heard that, I wouldn't say I was offended by it, but it did great with me. It didn't sit comfortably. It troubled me, um, this kind of claim that God wanted to heal everybody. Because for me, it certainly wasn't my experience that God healed everybody. In fact, you know, growing up, the church I grew up in, we would pray for the sick from time to time. And occasionally, somebody would get healed. Occasionally, somebody would get healed. But it was pretty rare. Um, but we would, we would kind of persist and, and keep praying from time to time. But, but most of the time, we were praying probably more out of a sense that God could heal than that he actually wanted to heal. There was more this sense, well, of course God can heal, so we'll pray for you. As opposed to, actually, God wants to heal you. Um, and so that had been my kind of experience um, I think I'd also been taught, you know, probably some of you are familiar with teaching like now and not yet. The kingdom is now and it's not yet. That kind of place more emphasis on the not yet bit than on the now bit. Uh, so the emphasis was more, we might see a bit of the kingdom now, we might see a bit of healing now, but actually really we're going to have to wait until we get to heaven to see the fullness and to see every, everybody being healed. And so that kind of experience I'd grown up in, that kind of teaching I'd grown up in, when I first heard the suggestion that God actually wanted to heal everybody and he wants to heal everybody now, while we're still on this planet and not when we get to heaven, actually he wants to see the kingdom come now, it took me back and it kind of, I thought, is that really true? Can I really believe that? Another observation growing up for me was that I think I had a much more developed theology of why God didn't heal or wouldn't heal than why he would heal. So I'd heard far more messages uh, and had a far more developed theology to explain why somebody didn't get healed than to explain why we could actually expect God to heal somebody right now. So teaching around things like actually 
through suffering, God kind of teaches us things and actually suffering produces glory and produces faith and things like that, you know, to comfort people who are, uh, who are sick. You know, that kind of theology was much more developed than, than an expectation for healing. So when I first heard this, as I say, it took me back. It, it caused me to think, is that really true? Can I really believe that? And so I went away and did some study. I went away and did some work. And I, I want to just share some of that with you this morning. Before I do, I, I just want to kind of unpack, well, why is this important? Why is it important, the answer to this question and what we believe about this question? And I think... It is crucially important whether or not we believe that God wants to heal people. And I think one of the key reasons why is because I think it's very difficult to pray with faith and authority for somebody to be healed if you're not sure if God wants to heal them or not. I think it's very difficult to pray with faith and authority. The kind of prayer I would typically pray or typically hear uh, when I was growing up would be, God, if it's your will, heal them. If it's your, you kind of put the caveat in, saying, God, I know you can because you're God, but, but you may not want to. So if you want to, then heal them. And that was kind of our get out of jail card that we used to play. Not deliberately, but I think it was uncertainty around, is this God's will? Does he actually want to heal people? I mean, just think of an illustration for a moment. Just think of an example. In my job, uh, working as a, as a solicitor, one of the things we do a lot is negotiate on behalf of people. So you go into meetings and you go in and you, you negotiate. Now just imagine that you had asked me to attend a meeting on your behalf to buy a house. So you said, Tim, will you go along to this meeting for me? But you didn't give me any detail. I didn't know what it was about. And I just turned up and somebody else came into the room and said, so do you want the house? I, 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 I don't know. How about we say 250,000? I've got no idea. What am I supposed to do in that situation? I've got no idea how much you want the house, how much you're prepared to pay for the house. I've got no idea what you actually want in that situation. So I've got no authority and I've got no ability to actually do a deal and to get that thing done. It may be that you absolutely really want that house and you're prepared to pay anything for it. But I'm unable in that situation to actually do anything on your behalf because you've given me no authority whatsoever because I don't know what you want. And it's exactly the same, I think, when we go into a situation if we're praying for someone who's sick but we don't actually know what God wants. I think it takes away our authority and it takes away and undermines faith. So, does God want to heal everybody? Well, let's look at some of the evidence. First of all, I think we're all familiar now, what, what's it like in heaven? What's heaven like? We know that our commission is to bring heaven to earth. So our starting point is, well, what's heaven like? Is there sickness in heaven? No. So there's no sickness in heaven. So we know that that's what God wants. But then you could ask the question, well... Does he want that here, right now, for everybody? Well, what I did was I went away when I was kind of faced with this question, and I, I studied the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels, and I, I looked at every reference for healing that I could find in the New Testament. 
And I was amazed at what I found when I looked at the life of Jesus. I put some together some slides just to help illustrate this. And so just looking at the life of Jesus, the first thing you notice is that there's no record of anybody coming to Jesus sick who went away sick, who, who asked him to, to heal them, who he sent away sick. So there's no one that came to Jesus sick and said, will you heal me? And he said, actually, it's not my father's will to heal you. Or actually, you'll have to wait for heaven for this one. There's, there's no record that I could find in the New Testament of that. And then when you look through uh, the scriptures, are we able to get the slides up? I was amazed. So I, I looked through every reference to healing in the New Testament. And what I began to notice was that there are so many occasions where it says Jesus healed all who came to him. Or Jesus healed everybody. Or many were healed. And so I began to kind of separate out the different scriptures and the different verses into those that make clear that everybody in that situation was healed. And those that Perhaps it wasn't clear if it was everybody, but, but at least many were healed. And so this is what I found. I put them up on the slide. We'll scroll through the Matthew 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Do you want to go on to the next one? So these are passages that suggest Jesus healed everybody. I've highlighted in... Bold, the ones I particularly love. Mark 6:56. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched his cloak were healed. And the next one. Luke 4:40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Again, it's clear, everyone who was sick, who they brought to him, he healed. Luke 6, a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So these are examples from the life of Jesus. I think there's one more slide. So that just shows you the number of different references there are in Jesus' life, where it's clear that everybody who came to him was healed. In the crowd, everyone who pressed in, everyone who came to him was healed. There wasn't one person that he was unwilling to heal. We even see it in the... We, we, there are also several instances where he healed many. So if you want to just go on to the next slide. So these are examples where Jesus healed many. Now, we don't actually know... If this was everybody, it doesn't say, it doesn't make it clear. But what we can tell is there were a lot of people involved. So when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. So again, there's another slide. So again, just many examples where great crowds of people brought their sick to Jesus, and he healed them. And it just began to show me, actually, my experience was that it was the exception that somebody was healed. But at the very least, I began to realize, actually, it should at least be the other way around. 
At the very least, I kind of got to the conclusion it should at least be the other way around, that it should be the exception that somebody isn't healed. When you look at the life of Jesus, it seems to be everyone who came to him who was sick was healed. And even the disciples got in on it too. So there's examples where the disciples anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Luke 9, 6, they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Crowds gathered. This is in Acts, so this is after Jesus has ascended. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So even the disciples got in on this. So the evidence from the New Testament for me began to become overwhelming that actually it was clear that Jesus healed everybody who came to him. And it was commonplace for many, many, many people to be healed, even among a crowd of people. I then began to think about the possible evidence against. As a good lawyer, so evidence for, what's the evidence against? And I began to rack my brain about, again, all those sermons I'd heard about why God might not heal or might not want to heal. And began to think about all the reasons that might be given. And I came up with four, uh, which are on this slide. So four examples, if you skip on to the next one. So what about these? What about the fact Jesus could only do a few miracles in his hometown? So we've got a record in Nazareth, where Jesus goes to Nazareth. And it tells us that actually there he could only do a few miracles this was a bad day, okay? He could not do any miracles out except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. So that was a bad day for Jesus, okay? But what's also clear to me from that account is that Jesus wanted to do more. I think it's quite clear from that account that Jesus wanted to do more, and actually it was the faith of the people that prevented him from doing it. So God's heart in that situation was, actually, I want to heal. I would say he wanted to heal everybody, but he was limited to only being able to heal a few in that situation. Another one that often came up was the man at the pool of Bethesda. So you've got a, a, a crippled man. This was where people used to lay at, at the pool of Bethesda, and I think once a year an angel used to come and stir the waters. Um, and people would try to be the first one in because the first one in would get healed. And we've got an account where Jesus comes up and there's a crippled man who can't get into the pool uh, and Jesus asks him, do you want to be well? And he says, yes. And he tells him to pick up his mat and walk. And again, I'd often heard that suggested, well, he only healed one person in that situation. But actually, as I went back and looked at it, I realized it doesn't actually say what happened to anybody else. So at best, it's an argument from silence. It doesn't actually tell us what happened to the rest of the people in the crowd. We hear a story about one man's healing and one of the things we know from Scripture, I think it's John who writes, that actually if he wrote about everything that Jesus had done, there wouldn't be enough room in all the libraries in all the world to hold the books. So we hear one, the healing of one man. Some people from that conclude that he didn't heal everybody else. The truth is we just don't know. Paul's thorn in the flesh. This is one that's often trotted out. So Paul's thorn in the flesh, the kind of idea that you, God's grace is sufficient for me. He helps me in my weakness, helps me to endure my suffering. 
And actually it's producing kind of greater eternal glory. And Paul's thorn in the flesh, I think, again, is often used when people are sick, uh, perhaps as a, a, as a comfort. Um, but again, even Paul's thorn in the flesh, it's unclear from Scripture whether that's a physical condition or whether that's actually people opposing Paul's message. And I would suggest to you, actually, the, the evidence for that suggests much more strongly that it was a people opposing uh, thorn in the flesh is a term that is used in the Old Testament um, in Numbers 33. And it's actually a, a term that's used there to dis- God tells the people to drive out all of the peoples in the land, otherwise they might come against you and oppose you. So actually Paul there potentially is picking up a, a kind of a picture from the Old Testament and using it to describe the situation that he's facing. But at best that is unclear, whether that's physical or not, and I would suggest that it's probably more likely to have been people opposing him as opposed to a physical condition. And the only other one I could think of was Paul, where he writes to Timothy and says to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach and for your frequent illnesses. So perhaps rather than praying for him in that situation, Paul just tells him to have a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> But again, for me, that says nothing about God's heart. You know, I think Paul there was pastorally advising Timothy. But it doesn't, to me, tell me anything about the heart of God. And as I've said, as I began to look at the case for and the case against, kind of does God want to heal everybody, the case for seemed overwhelming. The the scriptures I've referred to, the cases where Jesus, it was clear that everybody who came to him was healed, that multitudes were healed. And actually, those verses, those scriptures that are sometimes or often used to argue the opposite, for me, are very flimsy arguments against. So as I say, my experience was that it was the exception that somebody was healed. I think having looked at it, having looked at the, done this study, I was then starting to think, well, at least it should be the opposite. And I think God's heart is that the exception shouldn't be. Now I would say, I think God wants to heal everybody. And I'm convinced that that's God's heart and that's God's desire. And I think a couple of important things just to note here. The first one is just we need to be careful that we don't base our theology. So theology that teaches that God doesn't want to heal or you're probably going to have to wait to heaven do you get to heaven to be healed? I think one of, the, one of the reasons that has developed is because of our experience. I think that's a theology that's based on our experience rather than on what scripture clearly teaches. And I think it's really important that we don't allow our experience to shape our theology and what we believe about God. But actually we allow our theology to shape our experience. So we don't bring our theology down to the level of our experience. Okay, we don't bring what we believe about God down to the level of our experience. We, we discover God's heart and then we bring our experience. And this is what we're doing. We bring our experience up to the level of the revelation that God has given us. I mean, just think about that for a minute. If I was to ask you, does God want to save everybody? What would you say? Does everybody get saved? 
Okay. So there's one example where we do this. Yet with healing, I would suggest that the tendency in the church has been the other way around. How about if I said to you, does God want to heal everybody with emotional hurts? Or who's oppressed by the demonic? Okay. You see, again, I think there's a difference. I think we've approached physical healing differently to some of these other areas. Perhaps because we can see it. But I think physical healing has been set differently to some of these other areas that we've taught on. We have a confidence when it comes to God wants to heal this person who's broken. God wants to set this person free where there's demonic oppression. But, but when it comes to the sick, well, if it's your will, then heal them. So why is everybody not healed? So if God wants to heal everybody, why is everybody not healed? I didn't think I could preach on this without addressing this question. And I'd say, firstly, it's not a simple answer. Um, and I'm not standing here today with all the answers to this question. Okay? I don't have all of the answers. And I know from personal experience that it can be very painful and very confusing and very disappointing when you press in for healing and you don't experience it, either for yourself or for a loved one or a friend. And I would just say on that, I think it's important that there is a real need to be able to be honest about that. I think to be honest with God and to be honest with one another, that there is a reality to that. And I think that there are times when we're pressing in for healing because we're trying to bring our experience up to the level of what God's shown us. Actually, there may be times where you in the process of doing that, actually you need to go and find your comfort and kind of renew your strength in God as you're pressing in in that process. I think Pete said before, sometimes I need God the healer. Sometimes I need God the comforter. Randy Clark, when we were at Bethel, did some teaching on healing and he was one of his sessions was the I think it was the ecstasy of victory and the agony of defeat. And uh, it's not a session he does very often. He doesn't teach on defeat very much because they're pressing in to be victorious. But he was very open and very vulnerable. And one of the things he said was it's God's power that will heal you and it's his love that will sustain you. It's God's power that heals you and it's his love that will sustain you. So I think we need to make sure where we, where we do suffer disappointment, suffer pain in the process, actually we need to seek the love of God and allow him to strengthen us, to renew us, to comfort us. And then we go again and we keep pressing in. And I think we also need to learn, it's important we learn how to do that with one another as well, that we strengthen, encourage and comfort one another along the journey. But part of the answer, I don't think it's the full picture, but I think part of the answer to this question of why is not everybody healed is actually because it's an area in which we 
and by we I mean us here, but also the wider church community, I think it is actually an area where we are immature in terms of how we, the, the, the kind of use of this particular gift, the gift of healing. You see, if you look back through church history, healing was commonplace in the early church. Okay, in the early church, the church that Jesus left behind, healing was commonplace. We read some of the examples earlier. And my understanding is that that continued for several hundred years. That actually there was an expectation and the general teaching in the church would have been, we've got a victorious king, he came to defeat the enemy, and you can be healed. That would have been the general teaching in the church. But actually over time... And certainly as we move into the, the kind of dark ages and then the middle ages, that, that started to die out. And that expectation that Jesus had won a victory and that you could be healed today actually began to die away. For those of you who know a bit about church history or world history, you'll probably be familiar with this. But certainly through the dark ages... I think a lot of people began to look, instead of looking at victory in this life, began to look at life kind of in eternity as their only hope. Because life on earth at that point was so bad, I think a lot of people's focus began to shift to what was to come and lost sight of actually we can be victorious in the here and now. And that continued through the Middle Ages. If you look through church history, you'll see, although healing has continued throughout church history, it's become a lot more kind of confined. So the mainstream church, it largely died out in the Middle Ages, both in the Catholic Church and in the Protestant Church. In the Catholic Church, although they never developed a kind of full cessationist theology, they never developed a theology that said that kind of healing and miracles signs and wonders weren't for today, they kind of became restricted to the super saints, the popes and, and, and the, the kind of those who were kind of held in high esteem. So it was those people that did the miracles and actually you still need to do a miracle in the Catholic Church or have miracles to be declared a saint. So actually in the Catholic Church it never fully died out but it became restricted to just a few But actually in the Protestant church, I think a a kind of cessationist theology developed. And actually we even look at people that quite rightly we hold in very high esteem, like Martin Luther and others. And actually, even they were developing a kind of theology that's kind of indicated that miracles, healing, signs and wonders were not for today. And there was a reason for that. Okay, the Catholic Church at the time, Luther was coming up against and opposing a lot of the teaching that had been going on in the Catholic Church, particularly kind of ideas around salvation. So for those who who are not familiar, during the Reformation, one of the great truths that was discovered and recovered to the church by Luther was that we're saved by faith alone and not by the things that we do. But in order to establish that truth, they were coming up against the the teaching of the Catholic Church. Now the Catholic Church, one of the things they pointed to, to kind of 
show that their teaching was correct and was actually from God was the fact that miracles were still happening, that signs and wonders were happening. And they said, well, if we're doing signs and wonders and we're doing miracles, then we must be teaching the right theology. And actually to get around that, one of the things that that, that Luther and the, the reformers had to do was kind of come against that teaching and that lie. And in order to do that, they developed a theology that actually said that healing, signs and wonders, miracles were not for today. So actually what we had at the kind of birth, if you like, of the Protestant church, which we're part of, was a a kind of loss of healing, signs and wonders and miracles. And that's why I say I think actually as a church, and by that I mean the kind of wider church, I actually think this, this is one of the gifts that's been kind of most neglected through church history. So we had a high watermark with Jesus and the early church and the disciples, but then it crashed down. And actually then theology even began to be developed to say, actually this is not for today. And you can't expect to be healed today. So actually what we're doing, I think one of the key things that we're doing, that that churches like this is actually recovering the gift of healing, establishing it that it's for everybody and that everybody can pray for the sick. And actually we're we're now bringing, as I say, our experience up to the level of what God has shown us. And therefore we've got a, there's a learning process And it's something we need to grow in and develop. And we're developing faith and we're learning from God how we do this. It's a bit like learning to walk. We're learning to walk with this. And actually the the most exciting thing is that we're we're now up on our feet and we're walking. And we're seeing tumors healed. We're seeing knee pain healed. We're seeing people with chronic fatigue healed. God is doing incredible things. We're seeing people with ankles that had been broken in multiple places, being told they'd need pins in their feet. We're seeing those bones straighten out. We're seeing incredible things happening on a regular basis. And what's the end game in all this? Where are we heading? I just want you to turn with me to Ephesians 4. And verse 11. So Ephesians 4 and verse 11. So Paul's just talked about Jesus ascending back to heaven and leaving gifts for the church. And it says this, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the end game for us as a church is that we attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's where we're going. I used to think, again, I used to think the aim of church was to get back to the early church. That that was where we were heading. Kind of the early church was kind of a high watermark, which it is. And we were kind of 
we wanted to restore the early church and what God did there. It was then pointed out to me, actually, the early church was the baby church. That was the baby church. They'd just been born. And actually, where we're going isn't back to the early church. We're actually going to the fullness of the stature of Christ. That's where we as a church and we the church, the wider church, is going. And that's why it says in this passage, that's why we've been given apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. Actually, those gifts that Pete and David and others have been teaching on that have to be in every kind of expressed in every church and are at the foundation of the church. Why has God left them with us? Why has Jesus sent them? That we would attain the fullness of the stature of Christ. That when we read stories of Jesus, a crowd coming to him, power flowing out of him, and everybody in the crowd being healed, that's what we're heading towards. That's where we're going. Okay? That's where we're heading back to. The fact that everybody who came to Jesus knew that if they came to him and touched him or asked him to heal them, he would heal them. That's where we're going. That's where we're going back to. As I say, it's a process, it's a journey that we're on. But that's where we're aiming for. And that's where we're heading to get to. So as I say, does God want to heal everybody? Yes. And I hope that that will help you and equip you uh, kind of going forwards as you pray for the sick that you come into contact with. One thing I want to do just to finish, uh, we're not a church that just wants to teach without doing. Okay, We don't just want to be a church that knows good theory. We also want to be a church that puts it into practice. We want to actually develop and move on on this journey. And so I want to give an opportunity for anyone that's sick that would like to be prayed for, to be prayed for. Um, we've got a ministry team uh, who are going to come to the front. So if the ministry team want to start making their way forward. In great Holy Spirit style, uh, the youth were also being taught on healing today. Um, no planning on our part, uh, but Dave Foggan has been sharing his great gift uh, with the young people downstairs. And so they are also going to join us and be part of our ministry team. So do you guys want to come forward? Let's welcome them.